Thank you, worship team. Good morning to you. Hebrews chapter 4, if you have your Bible. Hebrews chapter 4. While you're turning in your Bible to Hebrews 4, let me say a couple of things to you this morning. First of all, men, let me encourage you to be a part of our men's breakfast coming up this next Saturday, the 20th at 8.30. Please register online or sign up at the welcome desk so we'll know how many are coming. Uh, invite someone to come with you. This will be a special time for us to fellowship together as men and to hear a challenge from the Word of God given by Dr. Clayton Clore, who's the new president of the Baptist College of Florida. So I'm looking forward to that time this coming Saturday. Also, uh, exciting times in our student ministry. Our new, newly called student minister, Brock McCoy, will take the, the helm of uh, student ministry on Monday, tomorrow. It'll be his first day in the office. And then, of course, uh, this Wednesday, he'll be speaking to the youth as he uh, takes over leadership of our student ministry. And so pray for him. Pray for God's hand to be on him. Uh, students, invite your friends. Show up Wednesday night and pray for a powerful time as you guys meet together uh, to worship the Lord and to hear uh, the word of the Lord. So I encourage you to pray for Brock and Savannah as they begin this, this ministry. And then let me say uh, just a word of, uh, word of recognition to moms <clears throat> in this room today. Now I know this time of year can be tricky at times but because I know there are people who did not have a very good mom by their estimation and because of that, it's a difficult day for them, and there's other reasons why sometimes today is difficult, but it's a day of celebration, and we want to recognize moms today and celebrate them. Uh, I am one of those that was blessed with a wonderful and godly mother. She was incredibly sacrificial, and she poured her life out to serve her family and set a godly example in front of us. I believe today that I still benefit from her prayers for me. How grateful I am for her, <clears throat> her influence and her example in my life. And I'm also very blessed to be married to a woman who is a wonderful mother to our daughter. I told her week before last as we were getting ready for the wedding and I watched how she was serving and all that she was doing to attempt to make that the best day that she possibly could be for Savannah and Taylor and I told her, I said, you know, you are an amazing mom. And she is. And I'm grateful for her and for her influence. And I'm just very blessed to have a wife that's a godly mom. And I'm very blessed to have had a godly mother. And so I know there are many wonderful moms in our church family and how you impact so many lives. And not only do you impact your children, your grandchildren, you're often impacting other uh, people in your life that maybe you're a mother figure to them. And so I just want to ask all moms if you would stand for a moment so we can honor you at this time and let you know how much we appreciate you. Please stand. Amen. Thank you for doing that and thank you for all that you do. I want to ask you, if you would, to join me as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, today I come before you, Lord, and I thank you once again for the privilege and honor to stand before the people of God to preach the Word of God. I thank you for how you gave me the power and the liberty in the last service to deliver your Word, and you impacted lives, and I'm asking you, Lord, to do it again now. 
pray, Lord, you will remove distractions from this room and from those who are watching online. And I ask that the Spirit of God would fill this place, captivate hearts and minds, open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today, Lord. And please give to me clarity of mind, clarity of speech, liberty and delivery. Help me to preach the truth of God with great love. Lord, I pray, Father, your word is received well and not resisted, not rejected, but received. And I pray that you, Lord, would minister to us today. Lord, this is a very encouraging message to me to understand that you supply everything we need to live for you from the throne of grace. And so I pray now you'll help me to deliver this truth. Use me as your mouthpiece. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 is the text for today. We are studying through the book of Hebrews. Today, I'm going to speak on this subject, Jesus, our strength for faithfulness. So far, we have been studying about these first recipients of this letter who were facing persecution and opposition. They were... Uh, in a culture that was not very conducive to living out the Christian life, and they were facing some persecution from their culture, and there was a temptation for them to revert back into Judaism, from which they were saved out of. That would be more easy for them in the short term, because that was a more accepted religious practice. So they were looking to escape the pressures of their culture, and the writer of Hebrews is letting them know, don't do that. Because Jesus is greater than Judaism. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than angels. He's greater than the priesthood. He's greater than the law and the ceremonial law. He's greater than the tabernacle. Matter of fact, He's greater than anyone or anything in the universe. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is savior. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. The worst mistake you could ever make would, to be, dis, would to, be, to be disobedient to following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message being delivered to those first century believers. There's a warning. Don't allow a heart of unbelief to develop within you and cause you then to depart from the living God. But enter His rest, which speaks of living a life of obedience to Him that results in His spiritual blessings being delivered on the person who's walking in that rest, who's walking in that obedience to the Lord. And now you might ask this question. How is it that we're going to be able to live like this and not allow this heart of unbelief to develop within us and not be obedient to our Lord? How can we live in obedience to Him in a culture that's constantly pressuring us to abandon the truth and be conformed to it. Well, that's what these verses are telling us here in this context. So they were involved in the pressures of persecution in their day. Now let's just fast forward 2,000 years to the modern church of America, and we too are facing cultural pressures, cultural persecutions. I have seen many Christians, and I have seen many Christian leaders flip their positions 
on major biblical truths that have been held to in Orthodox Christianity for century upon century, and now because of the culture are suddenly abandoning those things and conforming to a cultural understanding of things because they believe that in doing so, it will allow them to be relevant to the culture they're in. It will, it will draw people into their congregations if they compromise these truths. And so many of them are, are compromising because they want to draw people in. They've, they've simply not learned from the past 30 years. In the past 30 years, we've learned that if you compromise the timeless truths of God, what will happen to those churches is they will die. And so they've not learned those lessons. We're facing immense cultural pressures today. Let me give you some examples. We are facing an accelerated time in the life of the sexual revolution. started about 50 years ago. In recent years, the sexual revolution has, has really accelerated. It is very clear that for the better part of 2,000 years, the people of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, has held to a clear biblical understanding of marriage and sexuality. There has been no doubt the historical record will bear this out over the centuries that we have believed that marriage consists of a man and a woman and that the sexual union is only for those who are married and it must be a man or a woman. That is God's design for sexuality. God created sex for people involved in marriage. It should be talked about in the local church. One reason that we see one reason of the many that there is immorality so strongly in the church of Jesus Christ today is because we have not talked about God's gift. It is a gift that is to be used for pleasure, for communication, for emotional bonding, and procreation. It is a gift of God for those who are married, a man and a woman involved in the relationship of marriage. The Bible calls it one flesh. That one flesh means the coming together in the physical act. It is only meant for a husband and a wife in the, con in the confines of marriage. Sex is not for unmarried people. Sex is not for people of the same sex to engage in. Sex is not for those who are married to be engaged in, with someone other than your spouse. But we live in a culture that is in rebellion against God's design for sexuality. Premarital sex is accepted. Same-sex unions are celebrated. There is complete rebellion against God's design. And I'm here to tell you today with a heart of grace that there are severe consequences to rebelling against God's design. And here's what's happening in our culture. There is massive pressure for the people of God to compromise the timeless truth of God. There is immense pressure that churches are faced with to accept the world's definition of sexuality. In addition to this, there is another step that has taken place in this sexual revolution... And it is that there is an illogical thought process, and, and I'm not being mean-spirited here. God knows my heart. Listen, if you don't speak truth, you cannot, tell, you cannot say you love anybody. There is an illogical thought process today that has taken this thing even a step further. And that is that there are people who believe today that a person 
may be born a biological male or a biological female, yet in fact they may not be a biological, uh, they may not be male or female despite their biology. It could be that because they feel there's something other than their biology, that that makes them something other than what their biology says they are. Now, if you think about this from a very logical and critical standpoint, it makes absolutely no sense to embrace such uh, an idea. The, the reason that some feel a certain way is a byproduct of the sin nature. It causes us to have desires outside of God's design, but they are not desires that are to be embraced and acted on. Part of coming to, to know the Lord is we turn away from sin and rebellion against Him to receive Him, and then He reconciles us to God and enables us to live in such a way that we desire to be as close as we possibly can to being involved in the will of God to every degree of our lives as long as we're here on this earth. And so we're facing these things in, in culture. There are people even pushing for gender reassignment surgeries for children. Children cannot make such decisions. It, it, it is unbelievable to me to see what we're seeing take place in our culture today. And, and then the church is receiving this great pressure. Pastors are receiving pressure. Don't say anything because... It's going to make people mad. It's going to offend people. But I'm going to tell you this again. If we do not speak the truth of God, then we're not being people who truly love like God has called us to love. Because if God's Word is right, which I believe with all my heart it is, then those who rebel against God in the way that we're rebelling against God will be separated from Him forever. And there is no way on this earth that I can call myself a loving person and not speak the truth of God and love people enough to want them to turn to Christ and away from the life that they're in. I'm thankful that someone was bold enough to speak the truth of God and I fell under conviction for a lot of sin in my own life. That if it had been someone who was so worried about offending someone, then the Spirit of God would not have used the Word of God to convict me of where I was. And led me to repentance. And I'm standing here this morning, a man saved by the grace of God because somebody spoke the word of God. And what I will say to us today is, brothers and sisters, we must not bend. We must not bend. But we should be like our Lord. And John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. That's what we're to be, full of grace and truth. So we're facing immense pressure from our culture, and people will experience, you mark my words today, we have not seen yet the depth of brokenness that we will see as a result of the sexual revolution. What we're going to see in years to come is incredible pain and suffering that's caused by a rebellion against God's design for sexuality. And the church of Jesus Christ must stand on the truth of God and offer the hope, the only hope there is and the only healing there is from such, and that is the gospel. But what about what we would consider less weightier matters? 
but still is part of our faithfulness to Jesus. Like this, when we know how Jesus wants us to respond to people, but yet they've hurt us or they've said something about us or they've done this or that, and what we want to do is hunt them down and make them pay for what they've done. Anybody ever been there and done that? Y'all quit being so self-righteous. I know better. Somebody offends you. Somebody hurts you. You want to get them back. We, we don't want to respond with grace. We don't want to respond with kindness and love and pray for those persons and bless those persons and, and, and those kind of things. We don't want to do that. So how can we be faithful to the Lord in such circumstances? How, how can we? How, how can we be faithful to Him when... Everyone around us, maybe in our peer group, is pressuring us to intake intoxicants all the time so that we can, you know, we can start feeling better and our inhibitions be lowered and we can have more fun, so to speak. And so we're getting buzzed and this sort of thing and drunk and so we can party. How is it? Because that's totally, that, that is behavior totally outside of what a follower of Jesus Christ ought to be doing. So how do we say no when that's being pushed on us time and time again? So that we show a distinctive difference between us and those who do not know the Lord as their personal Savior. How, how do we live differently in a culture which um, would lead us to watch things differently than others? Watch carefully what we listen to and what we practice and we help other people see the major difference in us and those who don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. How can we be faithful to Him in a culture where we're constantly being pressured to be unfaithful to Him? Well, that's what today's text is about. Look with me in these verses. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, in this text, the main idea is this. Jesus, our high priest, enables us to be faithful. How does he do so? There are three things the Spirit of God helps us understand from this text that helps us know how the Lord himself enables us to be faithful even in a difficult day in which we're constantly pressured to be unfaithful to Him. The Lord Jesus is called the great high priest. Now, He's referred to the high priest as in chapter 2, verse 17, and also in chapter 3 and verse 1. And here in chapter 4, verse 14, all the way through about chapter 10 and verse 25, the writer of Hebrews begins to flesh out an understanding of the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, this would have been very quickly understood by the original audience of this letter because they came out of Judaism. And they're going to understand about the office of the high priest. He was the supreme religious leader of the Israelites. 
this office is not something that you just decided you're going to be one day. You don't just decide one day, well, I'm just thinking about a new career, Tim. I'm going to be a high priest. <laughs> I want to be a priest. That's not the way it worked. You had to be of the tribe of Levi. More specifically, you had to be of the family line of Aaron, Moses' brother. Most important thing that the high priest did, which his job was to represent God to the people and be the mediator for the people to God, the most important ministry he had was uh, exercised on the Day of Atonement, which was the tenth day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, when he would offer sacrifice for himself and also for the nation, and he would take the blood from the sacrifice, enter into the temple, and go into the holy place, the most holy place, to apply that blood to the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. He's our mediator. He is the one who ministers to us. Because of Him, what I'm telling you this morning, my brothers and sisters, is we can face the cultural pressures of today. You can't stand alone, but you can stand with Him. With the strength that He gives us, He will empower us to stay faithful to Him and accomplish through us what He desires for us to accomplish. He has called us, as James said last week, we are salt and light. There's no question about that. That's, that's who we are. The question is, are we surrendering to that? Are we living that out in the culture that we're in? God will accomplish through us on a daily basis if we'll be obedient to Him so many thousands upon thousands of things that none of us will be able to keep record of what all He does through us. We're just called to be obedient to Him. We're to live for Him. Now notice three things from this text. Here's the first thing. Jesus, our high priest, saved us from our sin. Verse 14. Now this helps us understand something. How am I going to be faithful to the Lord in this culture we're in? Well, I need to understand something. First of all, Jesus saved me from my sin. And if He saved me from my worst problem, He can help me in the problems I face right now. Worst problem I had, a problem there's no way I could have overcome on my own, was my sin. And He saved me from that. And because of His redemptive work, we can remain faithful to our Lord our entire lives. He is called the captain of our salvation in chapter 2, verse 10. He is called the propitiation for our sins, meaning He satisfied the justice of God through His sacrifice. In chapter 2, verse 17, the Word of God tells us He frees us from the slavery of sin. and He is our great high priest. No other high priest is called great. He is the great high priest. And notice His title, Jesus, the Son of God. You know what that does? That communicates who He is. Jesus, His human name, speaks of His humanness. Son of God speaks of His deity. And He had to be both to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Not only is He the high priest, but He's also the sacrifice. <laughs> and we'll get to that too. we get over in chapter 9 and we'll work that out. The Lord Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. He obeyed the law of God in every aspect. He did everything the law of God says. He obeyed the Father in every aspect of life. He did not break any of God's laws. He did not 
sin in any way. His life was absolutely perfect. Then he died, taking upon God's wrath upon himself on our behalf, and then was resurrected. And what I'm going to tell you today is this. If you come to know Jesus Christ through a relationship with Him, you place your faith and trust in Him, and you confess Him as your Lord and Savior, as the Spirit of God draws you, and you surrender to Him, and you are born again, you become a new creation in Jesus Christ, there are two things you need to understand happen in your life. Number one, every sin is wiped away. You are joined with Christ, therefore you're joined with His death and resurrection, which means your sin has been completely covered. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 17, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Our sin, past, present, and future is covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A second thing that occurs is this. We are made righteous before God. We are forgiven before Him and made righteous before Him. There's a thing called the active obedience of Christ. That's a theological term for His obedient life on this earth, his sinless life on this earth. There's also a thing called his passive obedience. His passive obedience is when he suffered willingly on the cross for our sins. And because of his active and passive obedience, here's what, here's what takes place. Our sin is wiped away, and his righteousness is imputed to us. So we stand before God completely justified. We stand before God completely forgiven and righteous in the sight of God, not by, not by what we've done, but because of what He did. We're in Christ now. We're joined to Him. And, and therefore, we're made holy and righteous before God because of that. Now earlier, I said to you that the high priest would take that blood from that sacrifice and would come into the temple. So he'd be, he'd be coming into the temple, and he'd come up the steps, he'd get onto this first level of the temple, which is the porch. He'd be there in the porch, and then he'd walk into the temple, into the holy place, the inner court. At the end of that holy place, there's a big veil, and that separates off another section that's called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. Once a year, that high priest with that blood would come around that veil, go enter into that veil, and go into the symbolic presence of God and offer that sacrifice, the blood atonement, for the sins of the people of Israel. But now the Word of God tells us here in verse 14 that He passed through the heavens, plural. You see that? In Jewish thought... There was this idea of three heavens, not, not three distinct levels of heaven. The first level of heaven to the Jew is just the sky. It's the atmosphere. Second would be where the stars are, out beyond the sky here, interstellar space. And then Paul talked about the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. And that's the abode of God. See, Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven. That is, the very presence of God, where he was shown things he was not given permission to even talk about. So notice this. The Lord Jesus Christ becoming the ultimate sacrifice and also the great high priest, he ascended to heaven. He went through the heavens to the abode of God, the very presence of God. 
and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, the very, the very throne of God, he presented himself as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. When we come to Christ, we are forgiven completely by him. And you know, the very fact there is a high priest, the great high priest, speaks of the desire of God to save people so they will serve Him, so they'll work for Him, so they will know Him, have fellowship with Him, experience eternal life, have victory over death, as Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 talk about. And then He becomes our constant advocate. Make a note of this, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. John writes that, I wrote these things to you so you may not sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate. The constant presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God is a constant reminder that by His blood our sin has been covered and atoned for. He's not only our advocate, He's also our intercessor. Hebrews 7.25 says He makes intercession for us. He is praying for us. Reminds me of Numbers chapter 14 when the people of Israel, they refused to go into the promised land. And they said, we're not going to go in. It's too scary. We're not, there's no way we can overcome this. And so let's get us another leader and let, let him lead us back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron interceded. And God did not destroy the people. He caused them to wander in the wilderness. They missed their opportunity to enter the rest. And then they did not return to Egypt. He did not allow that to happen. That first generation died off, and the second generation went in to the promised land. You know, what Moses did there is a precursor to Jesus, who is our constant intercessor. We could not be lost because he intercedes for us. He would prevent that from happening, just like he prevented them from going back to Egypt. He's constantly praying for us. He's constantly helping us. He's constantly enabling us. Today, in the most difficult of circumstances, we apply faith and trust in the Lord who enables us to stay faithful to Him. And Because He saved us again, I say it again, from our worst problem, that's sin, He will help us in the problems and difficulties we face right now. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold fast our confession. That hold fast is a present tense verb. Keep on holding fast. Keep on holding on to our confession. What is that confession? You remember chapter 3, verse 1, we talked about that word confession there, and it means the faith response to the work of God. So God is speaking, and He's drawing, and He's using His word to enlighten and draw us, and then that confession is the faith response to that. And this confession is not just a verbal demonstration or a verbal declaration. It is a, it is a surrendered commitment to the Lord. This word means that we have obligation. We have an obligation to be committed to Christ. That's what this thing... This is what puzzles me about modern Christians in America today and how... You know, we say we're Christians and we don't live like it. We don't, there's, no, there's no devotion to Jesus Christ. 
Our confession is a devotion to Him. Same word is used over in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Same word. We hold on to that because of His redemptive work in us. And by the way, He enables the holding on. How am I going to be faithful in this world? The first thing I need to remember is He saved me from my, from my sin. And remember, all that comes, all this implied from that redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. Second thing we see here in this text is that Jesus, our high priest, sympathizes with our weaknesses, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, verse 15 says. Now, why did he state it in the negative? You ever wondered that if you read this text much? Why not just say, well, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all... Maybe because there would be a tendency for them to think that, how, how can he help me? He, he's not even here right now. And the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing through stating this in the negative. The word sympathize is a word that means to suffer along with. It's a word that indicates experience. It's a word that also always indicates an active help that goes along with this. There's a difference between saying, you know, well, I feel sorry for that person. Or saying, you know, I feel sorry for that person. Let me help you. The Lord Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. That means our ineffectiveness. It means the very source of our temptation. He sympathizes with those weaknesses. How could He do that? This is the Son of God. How could He sympathize with our weaknesses? Because He Himself, the Word of God says, was tempted. Yet he did not sin. That word tempted, it's a perfect tense verb in the Greek. Perfect tense means there's something completed in the past that still has results today. It's still clear on the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering of temptation. Therefore, he comes along beside us to help us. I just said amen. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> He's been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Now, I want, I want you to know this. There's a whole... I'm not going to dive off into this because I don't have time, but in theology, there's something called the impeccability of Christ or the peccability of Christ, meaning could He have actually sinned or not? And that's the whole debate. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Without jumping off into it and sharing all what I believe in that, I'm going to tell you this. He was fully human, so therefore he faced real temptation. He was also fully divine. That if ever there was a temptation that would send him over the edge, he would be rescued by his divinity. So let me just say this to you. The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted beyond what any human being alive has ever faced. 
The level of temptation the Lord Jesus Christ faced was far beyond what any human being has ever faced or withstood. The reason that is is because they would cave to the temptation before it got any stronger. He was tempted in every point, that is, every category of, of sin, yet without sin. After 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, Satan came to him and tempted him. There's a whole lot behind that temptation we don't have time to develop this morning. He resisted that temptation by adhering to the Word of God, and Satan fled. The Lord Jesus even was tempted to abandon his road of suffering. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. And the Word of God says that he was so distressed, even to the point of death. Do you know that an average person would have died under the pressure of stress the Lord Jesus experienced through the intensity of that temptation in the Garden? And the Lord Jesus said, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, that cup meant the cup of wrath... And please let it be so, but not my will, but your will be done. He did that three times. And if you'll notice as you go ahead and read through the crucifixion scenes from then on, there is a resolve about the Lord Jesus and an unhindered focus, it seems, on following the path of obedience to suffer and die and then rise. There's nobody in this room going through more temptation than the Lord Jesus Christ faced without sin. And you may say, well, I ain't Jesus. No, you're not. And neither am I. But what I'm going to tell you is this. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised to always be with us. And He has promised to help us in times of suffering and temptation. So we remain faithful. That's why we have this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. That is, able in Christ. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Y'all hear that? What he said is, you're never tempted beyond what you're able in Christ. I've heard this before. People say, well, I just can't help it. I just fall into it over and over and over again. Well, and I understand the weakness. But the Word of God teaches us there's help so that we're never tempted beyond what we're able. And that's a good word. So He saved us from our sin, which is our greatest need. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, and now we get to the real meat of things, the third and final thing. Jesus, our high priest, supplies help for our need at the throne of grace. How do we get this help? Well, that's what verse 16 is about. 
The Lord Jesus went where no other high priest went, to the very presence of God, presented himself as our ultimate sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil which was there in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Symbolic of this fact, through Jesus Christ, there is now access to the very throne room of God. And the Word of God tells us here, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The word come there is a word that is in the present tense. Keep coming. Keep going to God. The word was also used in a sense of coming into God's presence to worship. That's how the word was used often. Keep coming into His presence. Do it boldly, not presumptuously or pridefully, but frequently, constantly, reverently, Come before Him on a regular basis. I've often described and illustrated this in this way. You've probably heard me say this before. When Savannah was younger and she would come to my office for something, she usually did not stop by and talk to Trish and say, Hey, is, is anybody with him? She just would just bust right up on up in my office. She had that kind of access, and here's why. Because she's my kid. We're God's kids. Through Jesus Christ. And therefore we have bold access to the God of the universe for help in time of need. Mercy and grace is available. This is the throne of grace, the source of grace, which means God's unmerited favor. It means He will give power in times of tribulation and hardships. He will give power in times of temptation. He will give the strength that is needed, the comfort that's needed. He will supply need as we come before the throne of grace. The problem with us sometimes, though, is we are too busy to come before the throne of grace. We're too distracted. We have so many things going on. We don't come regularly before the throne of grace. And that's why sometimes we're so defeated in our spiritual lives. What does it mean to come to the throne of grace? Well, it's exercised through prayer. The Lord Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's how we go before the throne of grace. And we should do it constantly. There should be several times a day we come before the throne of grace. We should do so first thing in the morning. We should do so at any need throughout the day. We should do so in the evening. We should be constantly going before the throne of grace to worship God, give thanksgiving to Him, to pray things He wants us to pray, and to bring our supplication, our need before God. Here is my need, Father. I pray to be faithful to You. Help me. He will supply the help. Now, sometimes it takes multiple times going back to the throne. Jesus went three times. Sometimes there's multiple times that, that we are accessing the throne of grace in such a way. And I, I want to tell you this. I don't want you all to miss this. Yeah, I'm almost done, so you all hang in there. you all with me? I'll do your head like that. Listen. We can become so disciplined in going into the presence of God in prayer for His grace to help us. That eventually, no matter where we are or whatever we're doing, in our minds, we can go right to the throne of grace. 
here at work and there's a bad situation happening there. And immediately you've so disciplined yourself to go before God that immediately right there in front of everybody, all that's going on, in your mind you can go to the throne of grace. Lord, I need help. Here's what's happening. I need help. That's what it means when Paul said, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. You're in that constant prayer attitude, constant awareness of the presence of God. Anybody can achieve this. Some of you probably listen around and say, that's just for people who are mystics and they're all, you know, all they, anything else better to do than to pray all the time. Uh, what I'm telling you is every one of us ought to be desperate to get before the throne of God every day. Anybody can achieve this. Sometimes folks will say, I wish I knew as much about the Bible as so-and-so did. And so here's how you do that. You just read it. <laughs> you study it. We just spend time in the Word. He saved us from our sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He supplies our need from the throne of grace. And no matter what we're going through in this world around us, He can help us. He is the one who helps us live the way He wants us to live faithfully in this culture around us so that we become, Christ in us becomes an influence on the culture around us. Now, I want to tell you this. Maybe today you'd say, I can tell you this, I need to come before the throne of grace right now. I'm in desperate need. I'm, I, am, uh, I am compromising. I am falling into temptation. I'm, I'm succumbing to the pressures of the culture and people around me, and I need to come to the throne of grace today. And this altar is open for us to come to the throne of grace. Cry out to God for help in time of need and to receive from Him everything that's needed. Do you know the Word of God teaches us that He provides, 2 Peter chapter 1, everything we need for life and godliness? Come before the throne today. Right here in this room, those online, right in your living room, your bedroom, wherever you are right now. <clears throat> For some, you'd say this, you know what I've done? I've compromised. You might say, I've compromised. I have given in to the pressures of the world. I have, I have chased after the world, and, and I know God's drawing me back today. Well, confess that. Confess that and return to following Him. For some, online and here in this room, you have never called upon Jesus to be your Savior. There's never been a true confession of faith in your life. You're a church member, maybe. You've been baptized. You've gone through the motions. But truly in your heart of hearts, you know that you are still alienated from God. There's no evidence in your life of redemption. And you know deep down, whenever you went through the motions, it was not really real. That There was no true surrender to Christ, your life never changed. What I'm telling you today is if you will surrender yourself to Jesus today, He will save you. If you're willing to repent today, He will save you. Will you confess Him as your Lord and Savior? You may say, I'd like to know more about that and maybe pray with someone about that. Well, as we stand to sing, you come meet me down front here and say, I'd, I'd like to talk with someone further about having this relationship with Jesus. You might want to be a church member. You, you might desire, desire to identify with this, this.
this church family and use your gifts here. And you can come during this time also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive help in time of need. It's easy for us, Lord, to get afraid sometimes of the cultural pressures around us, what people might say about us, how we might be misunderstood by the culture and called all kinds of names simply because we stand on the truth of God and we're far from what they call us. We are far from being who they're identifying us to be. Lord, I just pray, Father, for us to stand firm in the faith. Help us, Lord, to be full of grace and truth. Give us the strength and the power we need to live boldly for you in the culture that we're in. Father, I thank you for that. And I pray today, Lord, for those who may not know you as their Savior, that the Spirit of God is so convicting and drawing right now that there would be conversion. I pray for them to come during this time of invitation, surrender their lives to you. Lord, just work in a mighty way now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.